0: Hello everyone, welcome to the AI Ireland podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly, founder of AI Ireland. In today's show, we're speaking with Mark Little, CEO and co-founder of Kinzen. Mark, very, very welcome to the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark. Great.
0: So Mark, I have uh, uh, some information I'm going to read about Kinzen and then I'm going to ask you a little bit about your background, so I'll start off first. So Kinzen's mission is to protect every online community and public conversation from harmful disinformation by utilizing data and technology They empower community moderators and public communicators to radically reduce the risk of organized campaigns of deception. So before we jump straight into that, would you maybe give our listeners a little bit about your background and your journey to now?
1: Yeah, so I was 20 years as a television reporter and I was a foreign correspondent for a large part of that. So, you know, I worked in places like, well, obviously Washington, but also during uh, post 9-11, I traveled to Iraq and Afghanistan and war zones and conflict zones and, so I became just obsessed with, uh, you know, how we report the world. And this would have been, you know, as I say, after 9-11 between that and sort of 2009 and around 2008 and nine, I started to see the emergence of social media and particularly Twitter and YouTube. And what I realized was that the age of the foreign correspondent was essentially over because, you know, it used to be that you needed a satellite dish and a camera, a printing press, a radio transmitter to reach a mass audience suddenly with the advent of social platforms you could reach an audience with you know a single image as an ordinary person and so that was the beginning of an idea called Storyful. Storyful was the first social news agency so we decided what if we just went out and found people that were posting really interesting things and try to verify it you know sort out the false stuff from the good stuff and then pass it on to news organizations and so we were doing that during the Arab Spring uh, you know if you remember back in 2010-11 when we were watching amazing imagery coming in from places like Syria and Egypt. In the process, we came across the first examples of what we now call disinformation. That was, we were starting to see governments like the Syrian government were posting false videos, trying to reflect badly on the rebels. Uh, We were starting to see some governments trying to get uh, takedowns on YouTube. So trying to get videos they didn't like taken off the platform. So we started to see the beginnings of what now is called disinformation. And that is any organized attempt to spread falsehood on an online community or a platform. And so we were the first, I suppose, to really fight back. And we developed a lot of techniques, a lot of journalism techniques, what are now called open source intelligence. Uh, But we also start getting very interested in the technologies that would allow us as journalists to scale the human skill at the heart of what used to be called journalism. And now I suppose can be called analysis or expertise. And so that's really what I found at Storyful. I went on to work for Twitter and then I just couldn't get this problem out of my mind. How do we solve for disinformation in the age of machine learning? And that led me to reunite with the former Storyful colleague, onya Care, and create what eventually became Kinzen and what the company is today. So that's kind of a potted history of my journey.
0: Mark, thank you for that. So tell us about Kinzen and tell us about the problem that you're looking to address and then added to that, how big is the problem of online deception if people don't necessarily know much about it?
1: Yeah. So the problem we're trying to solve is there's a kind of a content moderation crisis right now, right? So in the early days uh, of these big tech platforms, they would develop automated filters to try and solve for problems like spam and copyright infringement, pornography, even the early days of abuse, you know, like for example, it's, it's easy to spot some of these things using automated filters, but this information is a wicked problem to use that classic technology term, because it's so defined by human nuance and language and sarcasm and you know so many issues in it that they almost defy automation. It's really hard to build a machine learning model that can actually understand the differences in language or tone. And so for that reason, uh, so far, content moderators uh, who are employed by the big platforms, and there's tens of thousands of them are having a really hard time scaling the ability to fight back against disinformation. So I think everybody will know examples of where disinformation has had real world harm. So for example, we've seen it just recently in Dublin with riots on Grafton Street. We saw it in the Capitol building uh, in Washington on January 6th with the riots there. We saw it and see it every day in skepticism around vaccines. We see it in other countries as well, where, you know, autocrats are inciting hatred against minorities. So we see the real-world impact of disinformation. For most everyday people, they may see what we call misinformation. It's a very important distinction. So let's just say you got a crazy uncle Kevin keeps sending you stupid videos or things that are not true. They don't really intend to mislead you. They just think they believe they believe they're true. So misinformation is where people just get things wrong or believe things that are wrong or you know innocent mistakes. Disinformation is very different. This is where groups like governments could even be sometimes political parties. It could be conspiracy theorists. Uh, They go out and they find content that they can manipulate uh, or false claims that they can promote. And they harness the recommender systems, the virality of these platforms, these algorithms that are basically optimized for outrage and emotion because they drive people to buy things. So so the way the tech platforms are designed, their commercial model is actually a perfect recipe for disinformation and over the years these bad actors as we would call them have found ways to weaponize the democratic potential of the big tech platforms and that's the problem we're seeing so it's not that everybody will see examples of this but for those that are vulnerable it has been uh, radicalizing extreme groups in a way that hasn't been seen in history Um, You know, we've had examples of disinformation before Adolf Hitler, for example, uses the radio to promote his message of hate. We saw the radio unleashing hate in places like Rwanda back in the 90s. We've never seen anything with the scale and the speed of social media to amplify dangerous information that becomes real world harm, whether it's public health or violence.
0: If I go into a little bit more detail, why is online verification? such a difficult problem to solve and you kind of refer to as that going to have wicked problem it, any thoughts on that
1: yeah like if you think about words that we would use in english and then words we would use in english with an irish accent or with, you know irish people have a very high tolerance for sarcasm right <laughs> you go to a different country it's completely different so what is dangerous and offensive and the difference between the two can vary from language to language, from culture to culture. We also know that in different formats, like text is very, very different to audio and video. So if you think about the multiplicity of factors that you have to build into a machine learning model and the constant evolution. So one day, I'll give you an example, there's a militia movement in the United States initially called the Boogaloo movement. And what they realized was that uh, people are tracking them. So they would change their name the next day to Big Igloo. The day after it became Big Lua. And then they start wearing Hawaiian shirts to identify each other at events. And so the language, almost like a slang develops. And so very quickly what happens is, groups who know they're being monitored by fact checkers or by automated filters start changing language and the words they use. And they exploit backdoors into platforms. They would organize, let's say on Telegram, Signal, 4chan and then launch an attack on Facebook and then go back again. So it's, it's really, really difficult when you know that this is not just accidental. It's not like spam. It's not like copyright infringement. These are people trying to evade and then sometimes optimize platforms to spread their messages. And that's why it's been so difficult. So for example, we know that Facebook probably automate uh, the filtration of a lot of this bad content to a very, very high degree, but still have 30,000 people. Uh, human content moderators playing as they say in America a game of whack-a-mole so they they knock it down here it comes up here and so that's why so far this has been a problem that has evaded automated solutions and very clearly the human scale doesn't scale to meet the scale of the problem because remember we're talking about 500 hours of video uploaded on YouTube every single minute there's two million podcasts on Spotify there's you know, 17 new thousand podcasts every week, and look at the amount of information we're seeing in places like house. The internet, because of the last year with lockdown, has become, we, we live here in every conversation is now online. And we've seen this information spreading from the main platforms into places you'd never believe, like conversations happening uh, on Etsy, on marketplaces like Amazon, uh, conversations happening on Peloton around, you know, fitness. So even in these places where people are gathered for conversation, we're starting to see disinformation seep in. So the scale, speed, and complexity is the wicked problem.
0: So Mark, tell us a little bit about how you're using technology akin to, as an enabler to solve this. And then if we can talk down a little bit about the benefits to the end users from that approach.
1: So we, we've developed what I think people will know in, in, in the world of AI is human in the loop systems. We believe that there's a place for a human in every stage of the learning of the models. Um, you, know, you cannot replace a human skill in this process. However, you cannot scale human to meet the s- scale of the challenge. So it's the combination, essentially what we call editors for algorithms and algorithms for editors is the way it operates. So to give you an example, uh, we could monitor a thousand hours of, of audio content, for example. Now, no human can listen to a thousand hours, or certainly not uh, in the space of time it takes to react properly. So, what we do is initially we will take in ingest content, transcribe it, apply NLP, adjust the NLP. So, we're making sure that the natural language processing is actually designed for purpose. Because in many cases, you know, the NLP, the old NLP protocols were all designed for advertising. So we have to make sure that we are capturing the right entities and the topics that are being discussed. So the first wave of technology is in that process of taking the content in, structuring, classifying it so that the human being can come in and and literally find the 30 seconds out of the 100 hours where they should be looking and saying, is this uh, problematic or not problematic? That's the first step. The second step then is in how we then tag and label and classify. So we're now taking the human being and saying, tell us about this content, uh, tell us why it's problematic, what's the words, um, is it a bad actor, is it a known network, and the tagging then goes into a knowledge graph. The knowledge graph now is getting better and better. We talk about Disapedia, so we are the most comprehensive machine-readable database of all these data points around disinformation, which obviously then is you know, hugely valuable because it's the best quality training data for the machine learning models. And so that's kind of where technology works. And then by the time it gets around the machine learning model picks up a huge body of text. You know, we have the capacity to take in millions of pieces of data every day and then threshold i.e., pick out the really like 20, 30 bits of content that need the final bit of human review. So it's this human loop system. The technology is amplifying the human's ability to understand the human is tagging, classifying and working out also hierarchies by which we can understand threats. The machine is getting better because the data is better. And the machine is telling finally the human reviewer, here's a 10 things out of you need to watch. And so we think we found in every stage of that process ways of just incrementally optimizing so the quality of everything is getting better um, and solving that garbage in, garbage out problem.
0: Where do you see the future of online content going to and the, as was the user, what they can expect in, in, in the coming years?
1: So right now for our systems, we're, we're looking to serve to people who already have control or responsibility for a large community. So the big platforms, uh, we work with several platforms who are huge. They already have trust and safety teams. They employ tens of thousands of content moderators. And we're essentially what we call their trusted flagger. We are just giving them really high grade data that allows them to make better decisions, better policies and better machine learning solutions. There's a whole new group of platforms that are emerging now that we look at like Clubhouse. So we see the next big challenge is going to be live chat, uh, whether it's webinars or it's Zoom or it's Clubhouse or it's the new features that Twitter are implementing. So whole area of love and chat and audio which has previously been one of the most difficult areas to moderate, we see us playing a role in helping these platforms and these new groups. You know, so for example, let's say you've just launched a new social network in India. And before you know it, you've got 10 million users. You know, most people are too late. They will bring in the trust and safety content moderators too late. We're saying build it in from scratch. Where we see the entire, I suppose, internet going is a way more decentralized uh, internet business model. So right now, you have a big platform, centralized functions, the same features apply to every member of the community, every user. In the future, we're going to see a much more intentional internet, much more subscription-based, more slightly closed communities around passion and place and profession. So I think we're going to start to see the rise of a whole bunch of micro networks that are way more attuned to the active engagement of users and quality. Now in that scenario, the really exciting thing is first of all, can we create a new business model? And I think decentralization and uh, the rise of like platforms like Patreon, which helps influencers and creators create direct relationships with their communities. Uh, the rise of uh, in publishing we have Substack, which is a newsletter platform. I think S- Spotify and other podcast platforms are doing, really good work in supporting like individuals as their own brands, finding their thousand true fans. That for me is the future. We've gone through a wave of centralization of the internet. I think now we're entering into a hugely exciting decentralization. In that scenario, I think expect to see a lot more controls decentralized to the community hosts and eventually to people like you and me. And this is where I started out with and We wanted to build a news feed where you could control all the settings, you know, the level of um, content moderation you wanted to apply. So some people are happy to see every point of view, others, they wanna resist the things they find offensive. Some people want audio, they wanna toggle into that. They've got 15 minutes, they want their feed to fit that time span. So I think we will see a bit like other areas like exercise, diet, sleep, you know, the self-actualization apps you have in your phone I think news and information and media in general is going to follow that route Um, and I know that my kids you know if I said to them radio TV and newspaper they'd laugh They'd be like what do you mean it's all content but what about radio you mean podcasts so what about TV you mean video what about newspapers oh you mean articles and posts and so they have a completely different way of looking at media which is I think um, much better and it will support a lot more I think quality engagement so I expect we're moving from an attention economy where our job as content providers is to grab people's attention for a second and programmatic advertising will give us pennies back on our content to a intention economy where we are going to be rewarded for the depth of engagement with individuals so I think expect to see a lot more personalization um, I think the rise of You know, transformers like GPT-3 and the work that BERT is going to allow people, I think, uh, to take kind of for granted a lot of the underlying ML and AI structures and do a lot better job at personalizing uh, content feeds and media. Um, And a democratization of AI is going to be, I think, one of the backbones of that new media system.
0: Mark, Little, CEO and co-founder of Kinson, thank you very much for your time today. I think the work that yourself and the team at Kinzen are doing has never been more important. So I applaud your goals and I wish you the best of luck in, in the coming months. Well, thank you, Mark. And I think what well,
1: my hope would be Ireland is going to be, you know, at the front line of this new media revolution. And we have some great companies in Dublin already, like Story from what I found, or Newswhip or NOAA, who does great work in audio. We also have all of the data regulatory authority is going to be in Dublin as they start navigating new digital services act. And I think uh, given the expertise that's here with the big platforms, we have a lot of talent pools. So let's hope Ireland is going to be the the country that takes advantage of this, this next wave of uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm super excited that if we make the right decisions, uh, yeah, we could be home to the next big things.
0: We are, thank Thanks you very much Mark. again, Mark.